Well, I invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. And I'll be reading what is probably a very familiar passage to many of you. The account of the, the rich young ruler is recorded in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we're, of course, looking at Mark's account of it. And I, I'm going to go right ahead and read verses 17 through 31. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. And as he, Jesus, as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And said to him, you lack one thing, go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last first this is the word of God it is for our good let's pray Father once again we stand on holy ground as you are addressing us through holy scripture. Father, I pray that you would give us teachable hearts that would receive the words of our Lord, that we would be transformed and strengthened and renewed this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen going to walk through the passage in, in five parts, 
The first part, beginning right in verse 17, is the right question. This rich man, as we learn later in the passage, comes to Jesus earnest, and he asks the right question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? The, the, the significance of this question has already been established for us in chapters 8 and 9. If you look at the end of chapter 9, verse 43, Jesus said, And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. So there, there, there lies before us these two great possibilities in reference to the future and to eternity. There, there's the, there's the, the one possibility of, of entering life, of inheriting eternal life, of inheriting the kingdom of God. And there's the other possibility of being cast into the outer darkness in Gehenna, in hell, to the unquenchable fire. And, and in light of that, it is the right question to ask, what must I do in order to not be cast out into the outer darkness, but rather to enter into eternal life with God? If you have a nice family, a nice job, a nice house, a nice retirement plan, but you fail to obtain eternal life, then you have lost everything. You will have lost everything. Nothing is more important than settling this question. And that leads us into verses 18 to 21, which I call the probing answer. Jesus' answer probes the man's assumptions and expectations, and ours too. Sometimes when it comes to really good and important questions, we, 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 we often tend to like oversimplified, pat answers. Just, just, just give me the bottom line. Just... Give me, a, uh, give me a cliche. Cut to the chase. Just spell it out for me in a very straightforward way. But Jesus doesn't do that. And we often should not do that either. J Jesus is dealing with individuals who are in a very unique place. And the truth is unchanging. The truth is unchanging. But Jesus tailors that truth in order to address the, the man in front of him, his heart, his mind, his conscience, his needs. So let's look at Jesus' probing answer. Of course, the rich man had addressed Jesus as good teacher, and that's the first thing that Jesus responds to in verse 18. Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Very interesting. And we never get an answer from the man on that question. But Jesus knows that since he is the Son of God who shares fully in the glory of his Father, there is a very true sense in which 
Jesus himself is truly good. But it is doubtful that the rich man understands that. The rich man is thinking on a, on a human plane, that there's this human teacher in front of him, and Jesus wants to make it very clear that we can't have this conversation and we can't deal with your question on a mere human plane. If we're going to talk about goodness, you need to understand that there is one and only one who is good. God. Are you good enough for Him? Verse 19. Jesus moves from the, the goodness, the, the perfection of God to the commandments of God. And remember this, as Paul taught us in Romans chapter 7, that the commandments of God are righteous and holy and good. Verse 19, you know the commandments. And, and what, he, what he does here is he, he highlights the sixth, the seventh, the eighth and the ninth commandment, then throws in another one, and then goes to the fifth commandment. Do not murder. Life is sacred. Do not commit adultery. Marriage is sacred. Do not steal. The property of others is to be respected. Do not bear false witness. The reputation of others is to be respected. Do not defraud. Do not withhold from anyone what is due them, whether honor or wages or whatever else. And then, finally, the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. Now, God's commandments to us can basically be understood in in two categories, okay? There are, the, there are the vertical commandments that call attention to our relationship with the Lord, right? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. And then, you know, the, the, the second great commandment that's like it is to love your neighbor as yourself. The, the horizontal commandments, the commandments that relate to our relationship to other people, and, and it's those commandments, the, the horizontal commandments that the Lord calls attention to in these, in these verses. And th- there's, a, there's a sense in which you really can't love your neighbor as yourself. You can't fulfill those commandments to love other people unless you are, first of all, loving the Lord Himself properly. But in any case, Jesus focuses on the horizontal commandments, and the man answers in verse 20, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Now, some of you might be tempted to reply, Yeah, right. Let's go to the Sermon on the Mount and talk about affections and motivations and attitudes, and we'll see how good you're doing. But Jesus doesn't, doesn't do that. He, he lets the man's answer stand. He, here, here, is a, here is an earnest young man who 
knows Scripture and who's asking a very serious question about eternal life. I think we should take his answer at face value, not trying to probe all of his heart attitudes and motivations, but understanding this, that here is a man who has lived an outwardly respectable life with respect to his being a good neighbor to those around him. Okay, he's, I don't think he's a hypocrite. I don't think he's being insincere. He, here is an outwardly respectable man. And Jesus then moves on to the heart of the matter. In verse 21, And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. We've got to pause there. This is beautiful. The Messiah the beloved, well-pleasing Son of God, the Holy One, the One who was at the Father's side when He spoke the universe into existence, the One who holds everything together, looked at this dear man and loved him. Desired his well-being. He looked at this earnest fragile, self-reliant, insecure man, and love and, and compassion went out to him. And the loving Redeemer loved him by telling him the truth, right? He loved him and said, which we're going to look at in just a minute, but th- this, is, this is beautiful. You know, we, we will, in our day and age, we will pit love against truth, and we should never do that. It, if you can put your finger on the issue in someone's heart and you can set before them the way of healing, then love does it. To not do that when you can do that is not love, but hate. Jesus loved this man and told him the truth. Middle of verse 21, you lack one thing. Now, you got to hear this right. Okay? It is not as if Jesus is saying, you know, friend, you could have had an A. But you lack one thing, and so you're kind of down to an A minus. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you back up to a perfect score. That's not what's going on here. Okay? You lack one thing, and as we'll see, the one thing you lack means that you have a zero. You lack the one thing that matters. You lack the one thing that would be everything if you had it. And so, Jesus continues, you lack one thing, go. Sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Now, just a brief word about what Jesus is not saying. Don't don't fail to see the big picture of Jesus' statement here. Jesus is not saying, "The, the one thing that you must do to inherit eternal life is to make the largest financial contribution ever to charity. And then you're good to go. That, that would be a very superficial reading of, of, the, of the instruction. It's as if Jesus is saying to this man, 
friend, you have a lot going for you. You are a citizen of Israel. You know the Old Testament. You know the commandments. You have made a sincere effort to follow the commandments of the Lord. And you have a lot of wealth. And if you know your Old Testament, you know that it is God who gives wealth. Wealth is a blessing. You have a lot going for you, young man. But here's the problem. You have been breaking the first commandment for a very long time. What does it matter if you're doing okay at commandments 5 through 9 when you're abysmally failing the first commandment? What is the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. Worship God only. Serve Him alone. Love the Lord with your whole being. And, and here He is, God in the flesh, standing before this man, calling him to account, not to slay him for his past idolatry, but to offer him a fresh start. But this man had a substitute God. Wealth was his God. Possessions possessed him. Possessions were his God. He looked, he looked to his riches for his identity, and for his comfort, and for his security, and for his future hope. He wasn't banking on God. He was banking on money. He wasn't, he wasn't banking on the promises of Almighty God. He was banking on his possessions. Now, what Jesus is telling this rich man to do is exactly what he has been telling every potential disciple to do. There's nothing new here. The only thing that's new is that he's tailoring it to the specifics of this particular man. But back in Mark 8.34, Jesus said, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In other words... You need to die to anything and everything that stands between you and me. And what stands between the rich man and Jesus is his riches. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Dethrone wealth. And follow me. And it's the same thing that Jesus told every potential disciple, what he or she would have to do in our, in our la last week's passage. Chapter 10, verse 15. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive, receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Friend, you're coming to me and your heart and your hands are full of stuff. And you can't come to me like that. You have to come to me like a little child, helpless, needy, dependent, ready to entrust yourself entirely to me. Stop anchoring your life in earthly wealth. Abandon it. 
and start banking on the unfading and imperishable treasure that is hidden in the heavens that is found in God's eternal home. But there's more. Jesus doesn't stop there. Many years ago, I heard John Piper talking about this passage, and it stuck with me, and I completely agree with him on this point that I'm about to tell you. The emphasis of Jesus' instruction to this man is not what he gives up, what he must give up. As important as it is that he must give all of his wealth up, and as important as it is that the poor will benefit from that transaction, the emphasis is not on what he would give up, but what he would get after he gives everything else up. Jesus is saying to him, stop ordering your life around wealth and start ordering your life around me. Totally, 100%, all in. Not ordering your life around some principle or rule or system, but ordering your life around me. And by the way, I don't want your money. I love this, by the way. Jesus walked this earth in relative poverty. One time he said, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He lived relatively poor. And this rich guy comes up to him. And Jesus did not want the rich man's riches. He wanted him. He didn't crave his wealth. He loved the man. And this rich man would never be able to say that he enriched Jesus or that he funded Jesus' ministry. No, no. Come, follow me. Trust me. Learn from me. I will make you rich. I will be enough for you. Open wide your heart and I will fill it. I will be living water to your soul. I will give you more joy than thousands of gold and silver coins. I will show you the Father's glory. I will teach you how to live in my Father's kingdom and will make you a fruitful participant in my mission. And when wealth fails, and when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and when your earthly life is spent, you will be with me forever. Let's move to verses 22 to 27, which I call the great impossibility. How did the rich man respond to Jesus's Appeal and invitation. Verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He, 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 must have, he must have been really torn inside. There must have been part of him that was drawn to Jesus. And yet, he, he couldn't imagine liquidating his assets and having nothing. He couldn't imagine having nothing but Jesus that's a good thing. So he walked away, sad, downcast. And then we come to verse 
verses 23 to 26, Jesus is reflecting on this. It's a teachable moment for the disciples. It's a teachable moment for us. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. Notice what's happening there. Initially, Jesus says it is difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples are amazed. Then Jesus goes further. He says, actually through the use of a metaphor, it's impossible for a large camel to fit through the eye of a sewing needle. So, children, my, my disciples, not only is it difficult for rich people to enter the kingdom of God, it's actually impossible. And what's their reaction then? Not just amazement, now they are exceedingly astonished. You should understand that the disciples were not Christianized the way that we have been. This, was, this, this blew their minds because in their minds, to be a wealthy man in Israel who was outwardly respectable in conduct was a sure sign of God's favor and blessing. And they thought, if anyone, if, if, if anyone is on the fast track to entering the kingdom of God, it's rich people in Israel who live outwardly respectable lives. And now Jesus is saying, actually, it's, it's impossible for them to enter God's kingdom. They're so attached to their wealth, even though that wealth is a gift from God. They forget about the giver. They turn away from the giver, and they just become infatuated with the gift. And it is, they, they can't disentangle themselves from it. You know, Jesus' answer here, his, his probing answer, and then this follow-up instruction, really begins to kind of reshape our understanding of how Jesus is answering the question. The initial question was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, there's, a, there's, a, there's perfectly legitimate answers to that question, right? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Or repent, every one of you, in, in, you know, in, in the name of Jesus Christ and trust in him and be baptized and become part of his forever family. Or like Jesus is saying, Leave everything else behind and follow me. But now, Jesus is saying, actually, it's impossible. It's impossible for you to do what you must do if it's just a matter of human ability. It is beyond you. You cannot do it. And so, now the question is, what must be done to me? What must be done in me? The, the disciples are thinking now not just about rich people, but about everyone. If it's difficult for them to get in, and we thought it was going to be easy for them, if it's going to be impossible for them, then who can be saved? And Jesus doesn't say, well, it's easy for some people to be saved. He says, verse 27, with man it is impossible, 
but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Something has to be done to you and in you. God, who is able to do things that are impossible for people to do, is able to give you ears to hear. He's able to give you eyes to see. He's able to give you a heart to love Jesus so that when you hear Jesus say, leave everything else behind and follow me, you don't respond to that disheartened and sorrowful, but rather you respond to that with joy. Yes, I want that. And that's what Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like. In Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, one thing, one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had. Has that happened to you? If maybe someone is here this morning and that has not happened to you. You have not had a, a, a change of heart that now has great affection and love and yearning for the Lord Jesus Christ. If that has not happened to you, seek the Lord. And there's many people here, including me, I'd love for you to come up after service and say, can we talk? Love to talk with you. Love to pray with you. Let's go to verses 28 through 30. I call this the magnificent promise. The, the, the disciples are observing and listening and digesting all of this, and they realize that they have done what the rich man failed to do. Right? Jesus said, follow me. And immediately they left. They left their nets. They left their boats. They left their livelihood. They left the tax booth. They left everything and followed him. We, we, we have done what the rich man failed to do. I, 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 don't, I, don't know, I don't know their tone. I don't know the exact point they're driving at, but they're calling, to a, calling attention, calling Jesus' attention to that reality. And Jesus gives them and us a magnificent promise. This is beautiful. Now, if you're here this morning and you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then hear this as a promise of what would be yours if you would leave everything else behind and follow Jesus. If you are already one of Jesus' disciples, then take this as a great reminder of what the Lord gives to his followers and live in the fullness thereof. So Jesus says in verse 29, everyone who leaves everything else behind, let me, let me go to the exact wording here. Verse 29, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands you have property, possessions, wealth, riches, and of course you have precious earthly relationships, okay? No one who has left those things 
for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Here are five glorious gifts from Jesus to his disciples. Number one, Jesus gives you himself. When when you leave everything else behind for Jesus' sake, you don't become mercenaries who are just in it for little payouts. The chief blessing that you get is fellowship with Jesus. As Paul told the Corinthians, God has called you into fellowship with his Son, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, living bread, who will sustain you and carry you and supply all that you need. Secondly, if you leave everything else behind for the gospel, you get all the benefits that come from the gospel. In the first instance, that means you get forgiveness and reconciliation with God and peace, but I really think that the the point that Jesus is making is that you will be a participant in the global and ultimate triumph of the gospel. Jesus is on mission to take his gospel to the ends of the earth and to establish gospel outposts everywhere among the peoples all over the world, and you will get to be a part of that. No more mere hobbies or sports teams or trivial interests that have no future. You will be part of the triumph and the advance and the progress of the messianic kingdom. Third, verse 30, you will get the hundredfold blessing of a new family. This is really beautiful. It's in, in fact, this, this particular promise is very special to Charlotta. She has left hometown and dear family relationships for the sake of the gospel. And wherever the Lord has taken her, he has provided her an abundance of family in those places. This is very practical and very earthly, like, you know, Jared, Jared and Faye, you know, their house, our house, their pool, our pool, their backyard, our backyard. I mean, this is, there is such richness in the relationships that exist within the body of Christ and not only in the local church but with other believers in the region and not only in the region but throughout the world. We have brothers and sisters all over the country and all over the world who are glad to show us hospitality and love us and to take an interest in what we are doing and vice versa. Don't miss out on this beautiful community that Jesus is placing together and he wants us to pour ourselves into it. Open up your homes. Open up your lives. Share your resources. Care for one another. Far better than just having your own little retirement fund and your own little house and your own little TV to watch whatever you like to watch and cut off from relationships. You get Jesus You get participation in gospel mission. You get the hundredfold blessing of a new family. And you get persecutions. With persecutions, Jesus says, 
Back in chapter 8, we learned that he, he, he's calling us to share in his sufferings. We have the privilege of representing him in a world that hates him. We have the privilege of taking up our cross and laying down our lives and facing opposition and rejection and persecution and slander as we propel the gospel forward. And over, over, over and over again throughout the New Testament, the perspective of disciples is that this is a privilege. We rejoice that we get to share in the sufferings of our Lord. And finally, all of that pertains to the here and now, this present life. And Jesus says, if you will leave everything else behind and follow me, then at the end of the age, you will receive eternal life. Life with God in perfect fellowship with him and with one another forever the magnificent promise. Finally, verse 31. Jesus says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Here's my clunky summary of verse 31. Welcome to life with Jesus. Different rules apply. Adjust your expectations accordingly. Think about it. What a fitting, what a fitting conclusion to this passage and the previous one. Do you remember? The disciples thought, if anyone is on the fast track to the kingdom of God, it's outwardly respectable rich people. And Jesus says, it's impossible for them to enter the kingdom of God unless a miracle takes place. And last week's passage, they thought, ha, little kids. Babies, toddlers, six-year-olds, Go home. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. The kingdom of God is for, for them. The kingdom of God is for such as them. The lowly who come empty-handed. There, the disciples' expectations are completely reversed and turned upside down. Many who are first will be last and the last first. In Luke chapter 1, as part of Mary's wonderful prayer, she prayed, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. The children came to Jesus with nothing and they left having been blessed by the king. The rich man came with his hands full of his stuff and he left disheartened and sad. The religious leaders, Jesus tells us, the religious leaders, these careful cultivators of righteous appearances, refuse to enter the kingdom of God. But who rushes in? Tax collectors and the prostitutes. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. The worldly somebodies don't even get in. The worldly nobodies who trust in Jesus become sons and daughters of God. And even, even among those who are truly inside the kingdom of God and are part of God's family, even then there's this, there's this different rules. Jesus, Jesus will say in our, in our next passage, uh, verse 42, says, Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. 
but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Do you see? Many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Who's the greatest? The one who's washing feet, mowing yards, shoveling snow, running errands, loving on people for Jesus' sake, and you don't even know about it. They are great in the kingdom of God. Ultimately, don't miss this, ultimately, verse 31 points forward to the final judgment, which is what the initial question was about. How can I inherit eternal life at the end of the age? There will be many surprises at the final judgment. Make sure your Christianity is not worldliness sprinkled with a little Jesus. Many who are first from a worldly perspective will be last from God's perspective. Therefore, make sure that your life is truly and humbly surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ and His gospel, which will not earn you the world's applause. But many who are last from the world's perspective will be first from God's perspective. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice in the fact that the kingdom of God does not run on worldly expectations, does not run on earning and meriting anything, but it runs on grace, free grace to the hungry, free grace to the poor, free grace to sinners. And Father, I pray that, that the truth of this passage would really work on our hearts and minds. That we would always remember that you are the one who makes us rich. Father, if there's anyone in here, old or young, who is outside of your kingdom or who is feeling like the rich man, disheartened and sorrowful. We pray for them. We pray that you would open their eyes to see the glory of Christ and that you would draw them into your forever family. In his name we pray. Amen.